Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. You're not married, you haven't got a girlfriend, and you've never watched Star Trek? No. Good Lord. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. You know, Dave, you're like all social psychologists. You talk and you talk, but you have no gramba. <laughs> you know, I, I think I got a chubby from hearing you make Star Trek references. <laughs> this has just been my dream for so long. Uh, this, is- this is just a, a tragedy for me. This is I hope, I've betrayed I that, who I am. Well, you know, you know, I've told a few people um, and I said we're going to record an episode and part of the episode will be a, a discussion of an episode from Star Trek because Tamler's never watched it. And they're just like flabbergasted. And I, I feel the need to tell people, you know, Tamler is not the nerd you think he is. <laughs> this know? is the one I've, like one of the only areas in my life where I'm not a nerd, I guess. Really? Is, I think there are others. You know, I'm pretty good at sports. Yeah, I mean, compared to who? Jews. The Jew reference group. So, you know, it t- it tickles me to no end to hear you make a Star Trek reference. And I can only hope that um, this is this is just the beginning of a long list of Star Trek episodes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't talk. know about that because uh, I, I like that one that we're going to be discussing, which is called Tapestry, but I... Then watched another one, which a lot of listeners recommended, and maybe it's because, um, you know, I don't know the characters well enough, but not a not as much of a fan. So this is an episode on regret, um, in part, you know, the things that right. we might regret in our lives. And here's a key question for us, Dave. If we could go back in time and change our lives, would we not have recorded that episode on, on comedy? <laughs> you know... That was one of the toughest episodes I think we've we've ever done. We got so we got some good feedback, but the truth is that for us, like sort of behind the scenes, we tried to go back in time and the way that we did it was we actually re-recorded large portions of it. And I, I don't know I I don't know what it was, whether it was us, the to- whether it was the topic itself. Um, it's a really tough think- thing to talk about. It is a tough thing to talk about, and so we got a a, a few pieces of feedback. We, the, thank you for the good comments on the show, but but the, the very few there were good a couple, comments. <laughs> yeah, but there were a couple that that really hit home because I think we 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 agreed. Right, one theme to the feedback was you know there was 
very little by way of substantive discussion of the actual philosophy and psychology of humor. It was more just us talking about what we thought was funny. Yeah. And this was maybe just a strategic error on our part because we actually we actually wanted to talk about the philosophy and psychology of humor more and we even attempted it. Yeah, we did. But I think we that, tried. Yeah, and I think that we're just so dissatisfied with the literature on the topic and the sort of just, you know, sort of theories of humor and the the sufficient and necessary conditions about making something funny that we were like, well, fuck this. It's not, you know, why are we trying to fit this in right. to, to one of these theories when obviously, so we were trying, I think, and maybe we erred in the direction of talking about sort of the a diverse ways in which we thought people were funny. Yeah, I think that but we, yeah, people should know that we did try to t- go through the different theories of philosophical theories of humor. It was just really boring and unsatisfying and you know, <laughs> right. partly it's just like why am I not listening to comedy? Why am I listening to these two guys instead of listening to all these great clips by by Bill Burr and Louis C.K. and, and Eddie Murphy and right. Barbie. If we did nothing else, I hope that you at least go and, you know, if anything that you didn't know that of before, you know, if, if there's anything that, 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 that was new to you, I hope that opens a new door of comedy. Because that's one of the things I value a lot is when somebody turns me on to a comedian that I had no idea existed, you know. One of the things that we definitely didn't want to do was – if I, you know, there's a way in which we could do an intro to humor lecture with clips, right? We could say like, oh, this is an example of this style of comedy and then, yeah. and put very little of our own opinions on what was funny in there. And we we're just like, well, what, you know, we don't, <laughs> we're not getting paid to yeah. teach this, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so we, we thought maybe, you know, saying something about the com- comedians we liked and, you know, I'll, it wasn't. Wasn't I don't think it was excruciating, but (laughs) we agree with some of the negative feedback, and just know that we did try our best, and that we spent probably three times as much actual time on that episode just because of various tech things and various. It was like the world was lining up to try to stop us from doing it. Yeah, exactly. And maybe we should listen to the to the universe more often. There's another piece of feedback that we got that I think is. It was uh, spot on. That's a little affected. Spot on. What are you, British? <laughs> spot, spot. No, but I'm going to the UK on on Saturday to give a couple talks, so I'm I'm rehearsing. So cheerio. <laughs> booger. You're gonna get on a lift. <laughs> booger at the airport. <laughs> I'm gonna get a lift. Um, uh, which was our our real lack of talking about about female comics and yes. female comedians. I, part of the part of it got edited out. Part of it is is just that that but Dave's sexism, sort of my my sexism or our sexism. I mean, this is yeah, this is you know. I think I mentioned Lucille Ball, but it's not like I can <laughs> saying that I said Lucille Ball's name is sort of like when you tell people you're not racist because you have a black friend. Right, it's <laughs> um, not convincing. No, it's because because oh, you like Michael Jordan. But there's certainly and actually you responded to to our listener who who called us out on yeah because there was a time where i probably did have a bit of a bias against female comedians i don't know late 80s early 90s or maybe it was just not a great time for female comedians you know roseanne barr Whoopi goldberg not a fan but right now 
there are so many good female comedians out there. Uh, Amy Schumer, she's 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 awesome. We just watched as a family the Twelve Angry Men parody she did. Um, Sarah Silverman is obviously fantastic. It doesn't get any better than Sarah Silverman. Kristen Schaal, she we actually had a clip. I had a clip that we cut out of the episode from Flight of the Concords. She's maybe the best part of that whole show. And uh, Laura Lipkis, who I just discovered. Laura Lipkis is very funny. She has a podcast. Tig Notaro, Tina Fey. The list goes on. I mean, I, this definitely feels like a golden age for female comics. And I certainly appreciate them a lot. And I'm sorry, I'm very sorry that that didn't come across in the episode. And the email, by the way, was from Tamara. Um, Speaking of things that people could have done better, there is a poor (laughs) political science uh, graduate student named Michael LaCour. And I have no interest in piling on this guy. He's getting enough shit right now, and I'm sure he's going through total hell, some of it, you know, or really all of it, I guess, he brought on it himself, but I I don't want to pile on the guy, but I think it's something that we should talk about, because A, it seems to be part of a recent pattern of a sexy study that um, turns out to have all been bullshit. We saw this with, what's his name, the Dutch guy, Stempel? Dietrich Stoppel. 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 You know, I don't know the details of the Hauser thing, but, you know, there was there were definitely some problems there. And there's just been, there's just have been a bunch of these studies right now. And this one is interesting in part because of what the study was. And it got so much attention in virtually every popular media outlet. It was about changing people's attitudes towards same-sex marriage. And th- this... Uh, the, the, the study was supposed to show that people change their attitudes when they were in a conversation with a canvasser. So somebody would just talk to them about gay marriage, give them the arguments in favor of it, and then measure whether their minds were changed or not. But the, but the true, the chachma of the study. <laughs> what was that word? <laughs> the chachma. Isn't that the, the stuff that, that, that accumulates in a foreskin? Is that, is that a different yes, word? There is. I have like some chachma buildup in my foreskin. No, it's sort of like the the oomph. You know, it's not the heart of it, but what makes it really special, I guess, is what chachma is. It's a great word, and even if you're not Yiddish, I strongly recommend chachma. The chachma of this study was that there were changes for both straight and gay canvassers, so people changed their attitudes whether the canvasser was straight or gay. But if the canvasser was gay, those changes sustained over the course of a few weeks. And there were massive effect sizes, effect sizes that beggared belief. And Right. I mean, one of the things that was just the, the, the response rate that he got it's so hard to get. I mean, and, and that's is, what sunk him. This, yeah. The, the, the way he was caught, right, is these people tried to do a follow-up study and got just, just the response rates were like a quarter of what was reported in this study. So the minute, this, the, minute the news hit, I knew, I knew we were going to have to talk about it. And uh, there's, on the one hand, there's not that much to say. Like, this is just a person who did something really wrong. I, I actually don't feel... Sorry for him. I, I mean, I know that he's probably having a really tough time right now with all of this, but I, I just I think that he's just 
bad for having done this, and I actually want him to get shame. And we've talked about this before, but there are a few problems with science and just as an industry here. One, but there are two very different problems. One is fabrication, and the other one is sort of the replicability stuff. And I always fear that they're all getting lumped together. And fraud is just a problem that's been around for a long time. And it's I don't really think that there's anything new about this sort of thing. So, in, in fact, there is this weird way in which the mistakes that they made were just, you know, if you were going to fake a science, I mean, this is in science. This is the top journal across yeah. all fields of science. If you're going to... If you're going to fake shit, like, wouldn't you be a little more careful about just, say, claim? So, well, this is why, you know, it's come out that he faked a ton of shit on his CV, like a teaching award, the top funding source for the grant. So this is why I don't want to pile on the guy like this. This is somebody this isn't an evil Machiavellian calculating person. This is somebody who's who's seriously messed up if he thought he could get away with this over the long term. Well, so, yeah, so one of the questions is, what is wrong with these people? So what is the nature of the deficit here? And I think I think that what it is is, is narcissism. I think that, that at the end of the day, what it's not really psychopathy. I, like, I don't think, you know, having actually interacted with uh, Hauser and with Stoppel before, I, you know, they don't strike me as psychopathic. They just strike me as actually just so extraordinarily self-deceived in thinking that they're right and that they'll never get caught, that they just get sloppy, uh, you know? Yeah. And no, I mean, I, in I, that I, way, it's like Lance Armstrong. It's like a lot of these athletes that – and I always wonder sort of just getting inside their heads and trying to imagine it from their perspective, but they they push their deceit so far past – when it could possibly help them unless they have this skewed view of the world and themselves. And I think, you know, the narcissism captures that in a lot of these cases. I suppose that that there is just, if you were the sort of careful person who would pay close attention to detail, you just might not be the sort of person who's committing large-scale fraud like this. But yeah, yeah a, a few years ago there was... Um, there's an old school rapper. She was a female rapper named Roxanne Shante. That was her stage name. And, uh, you know, she maybe stopped rapping in like 1983 or 84. And, um, you, you know, we never really heard from her again. And a few years ago, she all of a sudden got in like the media um, about sort of this success story of hers. And part of her success story was that she had... Uh, forced the label that she was on to pay for her education and that she had ended up getting her doctorate in psychology from Cornell University. And, you know, she was claiming that she had a, a, a clinical psychology uh, degree from Cornell University. And I remember thinking, this, we don't even offer a clinical psychology degree. I think to myself, you hate clinical psychologists. I don't know if we, that, that survived editing, but that came out in the last episode. Some of my best friends. Um, but uh, I remember thinking, I remember thinking, you know, when when is one when one phone call could unravel your entire story, what the fuck are you smoking to like make that your lie? You know, 
I mean, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think yeah. it is. It's that skewed, and we all have this to some extent, but I think it's just extreme in other people, the skewed view of the world and its relation to you. And, and, and you so know, I think they also have enablers, you know. Um, for every narcissist, there's a bunch of people that are kind of confirming their worldview and just making it worse and worse. This is definitely true with the athletes. You know, sometimes I feel like that, that, that I'm enabling you in a lot of your <laughs> You're not doing a very good job. You're doing a horrible job at enabling me. I just have low self-esteem. It's <laughs> true. I know. I need to better enable you. One of the questions that I always wonder about cases like this, and, and like I'll just sidestep the whole problem, you know, whether this is a problem, what this means for science. Um, what I really am curious about is how much self-deception is going on. Yeah, how much do they actually are they able to believe that any of this is true? And I always think, you know, with the Stoppel stuff, he was just sitting there on the keyboard in like inputting fake numbers. That's right? what this guy was doing. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, I just don't buy that 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 self deception is possible unless by self deception people mean something really different than what I mean. But like, this is why. But 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 there's but then the other explanation is. That they're that they've completely disconnected from reality and just assessing the consequences of their actions. That's why it's very hard to find out to figure out what the story is because no story makes sense to me. You know, the story of them be, believing their own bullshit doesn't make sense to me. I agree with you on that. But then the I know I'll get away with this story. Also doesn't make sense because, you know, this guy is a smart guy in other areas of, of his life. So w can't one possibility just be that they're bullshit con artists that are just out for like. But, but they're terrible at it because they don't yeah. get away with it. I mean, I guess the better the best ones do get away with it. And yeah, we'll the problem is we don't know it. who has. Right. So there's one other in interesting element of this, which, you know, from a sociological perspective, had it had he gotten away with it, if it weren't for those stupid kids, <laughs> it, it, it he would have gone from a Ph.D. at UCLA to a job at Princeton, uh, right. which is about, you know, as good as it gets if you're a political scientist trying to make a career in a very tough market. And, you know, the the the. The, this study made him, and part of the reason is because, A, very sexy results, but B, also sort of in line with the politics of a lot of the people who are evaluating him, hiring him. You know, from the outsider perspective, it's interesting, given how the, the effect sizes being so big why did people believe him for as long as they did? Because once it was shown to be a fraud, everyone had that reaction of, holy sh of course this was bullshit. And we should have seen right. it at the time. And, you know, I can't help but think that if, if this was a study that, rather than confirming what people hope to be true about our power and changing attitudes towards homosexuality, if it disconfirmed it, or even worse, it supported a view, you know, that, that, that opposed same-sex marriage or something like that. It would have been scrutinized to death, in this, and it wouldn't have survived the day. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I know that that's sort of been what people are mentioning, but I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that that's what was at work here. I think the reviewers, I think one of the big problems is that, um, 
when you have people from with good reputations from good institutions, you would never it really would be hard as a reviewer to think that there's fraud going on. And from what I read about the reviews, they really did, you know, they they asked for the data, they wanted they wanted to be sure, and it seems to pass that muster. I just mean from the wider community though, not the yeah. review, the specific reviewers as much as why did everybody believe this when it seems so incredible on its face like so it is a nice story it's optimistic um and it supports the contact hypothesis right yeah it's it supports it supports what people have been trying to find for a while but have not actually been able to find that's at least the element that got it all of the attention that it received um but you know there's there are it's a it's a little weird because sometimes people actually would prefer to hear that people are biased and so um, so, for instance, there was a recent study that came out, maybe at some point we should talk about it, that came out of Cornell. It's like a recent paper with a set of studies trying to, to demonstrate that, and you, you would eat this up. I'm sure this is, you probably will jerk off to this paper later on, um, showing that there is actually no bias in hiring females for STEM positions. Um, so they, they had a set right. of five studies showing that, that if, if anything, in fact— when you give people the choice of a qualified female or qualified male um, in STEM departments, that they choose the female more often. I just climaxed. Sorry. <laughs> I remember speaking to, I, I know the one of the authors, and speaking about, you know, why, why is it unpalatable to hear that there is no bias? Yeah. Right. It's it's a, it's a sort That's of a, a weird question. thing. You you would expect that this would be like, oh, I'm so glad, you know. But I think you know there it's because people. Want especially, I, I think of all groups actually, they want there to be this bias. This is so that they can be opposed. There is a there's a satisfaction in moral judgment. Yeah, you know. but imagine that this study had some like he, that the same guy does a study that shows that children of same sex couples do significantly worse in school right. or over the course of their lives no. or something like that. I, I don't think that that a, I don't, I'm not even sure if it gets supported in, um, but B, I don't think, I think that that's going to get poured over. Sure no, no totally. I, 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 I maybe there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but I mean, I think that this is why this is, I, I agree with you. And I think this is, this is why I, I think we really need to keep uh, sort of, the the answer is to just be skeptical about most things, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they come out do. of uh, psychology and empirical uh, well, research. You know, the thing is, it's it's just you know one of the, one of the reasons I think that social science gets the brunt of the of the sort of mockery about this is that it's just too hard for us to have like to to rail against faster than light neutrinos. You know, it's like <laughs> right. we're not going to do a podcast episode. Where we're like, oh, my God, faster than light neutrinos, please. Like it, this is <laughs> this is, has to be wrong. <laughs> we're just not qualified. But everybody is sort of mildly qualified to, to talk about how they just don't believe a social science hypothesis. You know, you know, this is why everyone should be philosophers. We can't fake <laughs> this data. Is, this is why you guys make up big words like intentionality, but with an S. <laughs> it's um, we fake vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. Tension with an S. <laughs> Uh, oh man i wish that was a joke all right uh, (laughs) let's come back and we'll uh, talk about star trek i know i got the lube already i love it (laughs) 
be alone. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. So we're going to be discussing the Star Trek episode Tapestry today. I don't know. I think it was because I was dissatisfied with the last episode. I don't know what what I was thinking when I agreed to this, but I watched <laughs> it. My wife's going to come home and say, I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> Has she watched Star Trek before? No, of course not. We're not in that nerd universe, you know, like the Star Trek, like Comic-Con, even though like I, I think Comic-Con probably would be fun. I don't remember if I mentioned this, but in our last social psych conference in Long Beach, the big yearly conference, there happened to be a it was in Long Beach. There happened to be a Comic-Con in the same at the Long Beach Convention Center. And I, I'll never forget this feeling of. Just standing there before I knew that there was a Comic-Con and seeing two people compl- like dressed up in like the craziest costumes, you know, as a, as comic characters that I'd never seen or heard of. And having them look at us and the look on their face was, who are these fucking nerds? <laughs> we, in our slacks, like in our cheap slacks and like our bad conference clothes. <laughs> like we just, yeah. Even though I've never been to a Star Trek convention, yeah, philosophy conferences are fairly close kind of similar male to female ratio similar (laughs) level of dorkiness i probably know what that's like without actually having to do it um before we get to talking about this episode i i really want to thank all our listeners for listening which i guess is true by definition a true (laughs) conceptual truth (laughs) yeah exactly a priori this is the only kind of truth you can't fake you know there can't be any fraud <laughs> concerning a priori truths. Thanks for contacting us in all the ways that you do. You can reach us on Twitter at Tamler at Peas um, and at Very Bad Wizards, which is, I think, still run by Matt Welch, right? <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> you can also email us at VeryBadWizards um, at gmail.com. We, again, we read all the emails. We occasionally reply to them when we have the time. Usually... I, I'm the one who replies to them. Well, uh, what we can say is that at the very least, I feel as guilty about not replying to those emails <laughs> as I do any other email. Uh, you can rate us on iTunes. Last time I checked, we were very close to 200 ratings. And I imagine that will help us in some way because in the other podcasts I listen to, they always say that it'll help for iTunes. So, uh, yeah, rate us on iTunes. And finally, we're really grateful for your support of the podcast. Helps us buy equipment, booze, 
and all the other things that make this podcast possible. Um, there are a few ways to support us on the VeryBadWizards.com support page. You can click on the Amazon link before shopping on Amazon, and we'll get a small cut of what you buy at no cost to you. Um, you can also PayPal us a donation directly. And finally, and finally, if I, I think last time I checked, 15 more people reserve a T-shirt, something like that, then I guess there'll be another printing of this beautiful, soft, comfy shirt. It really is just like, I, whenever I put it on, and I, and I can't really wear it out because I feel douchey wearing out a podcast. <laughs> like a, a shirt of my you own mean, podcast. You mean douchier. Douchier. Douchier, yeah. I mean, not that, and it's not like people would care or, it's, or it's, know. It's that, almost, uh, it's, it's almost arrogant to feel arrogant about wearing Well, it. yeah, right. I know. <laughs> like, and so I will wear it to like the store or something like, but anyway, it's a very nice, it's, so it's a very comfortable, smooth, sensitive shirt, like you, kind of smooth and sensitive. Okay. Thanks very much. And we really, I mean, I know we say this every episode, but we really appreciate it. There are many parts of my youth that I'm not proud of. There were loose threads, untidy parts of me that I would like to remove. But when I pulled on one of those threads, it unraveled the tapestry of my life. You know, I've been, I have to actively suppress my references to Star Trek on this show because as somebody who who grew up uh, watching, you know, I hate to date myself, but at least I'm younger than Tamler, grew up watching episodes Barely. of Star Trek The Next Generation uh, as they were coming on, right, as they were new. Um, that There are constantly references that are popping into my head that are relevant, especially to nerd stuff. I mean, it's at its best, Star Trek is great sci-fi. At its worst, it's horrible and campy, and some people like the original series because of its sort of campiness. Uh, this, ep- did, this, this was yeah. not uncampy. The fucking uh, Nausicans, they look yeah. like they're just these big guys wearing like those cheap Halloween masks. There's a really tall people like wearing a bad predator mask but like one of those plastic ones with a rubber band around your head star trek can never be accused of of suffering from over budget yeah they don't cgi (laughs) too much you know in a moment of weakness tamler agreed to watch one episode which just honestly had me sort of shitting my pants because you got one episode where you can convince somebody that it might be worth it that that i'm not crazy that we're not all insane uh, nerds just watching crap um and so we put out a call on on facebook we got a, a, a the, the my, my criteria were only that they be that it be an episode that was somehow relevant that would make for good discussion because um, there are lots of good episodes that all they do is serve to forward the, further the plot that but it wouldn't be sort of philosophically or psychologically interesting um and that it be standalone enough that somebody who just didn't know anything about about this particular series wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to read wikipedia and watch 100 episodes before understanding the character development so yeah like if we ever do an x-files episode for example there were probably about seven or eight episodes a year that just were they had nothing to do with the larger plot it was just a standalone tv episode like a 45 minute movie it's sort of like the Law and Order model. The original series of Star Trek with Kirk and Shatner, I mean, Kirk and Spock, 
had no real overarching. They were all standalone episodes. So I was looking for something like that. We got a number of good suggestions um, from from our listeners. So one of our most popular uh, suggestions was The Measure of a Man, which is about the Android data being put on trial um, for his autonomy, essentially to, to determine whether or not he was just property or whether he was actually a sentient being. I knew that wasn't going to fly too well with you because... Well, I've just it's, seen Ex Machina, for God's sakes. I like, know. I've seen like exactly, the, like, a exactly fanta- like a beautiful meditation on AI. And then, I, you know, it, it's not that it was terrible. Anybody sort of has read much by way of philosophy. Like, it, what's a little frustrating is that they conflate a lot of things about, you know, consciousness and sentience and... I mean, I, that, I didn't care about that. You didn't? You didn't? <laughs> okay, good. My problem wasn't that they didn't make these they, fine distinctions. You're, you're, you know? you're like, they didn't make the difference between intentions with an S and intentions with a T. Right. Um, so we'll, 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 we may talk about it when we're going to do an episode on AI, um, hopefully with my colleague Josh Weisberg. Oh, yeah. freaking awesome. It's so oh, yeah. fucking good. The screenwriter <laughs> and director... Like I ended up reading a, an Ishiguru novel. I've never read an Ishiguru novel, and I just finished Never Let Me Go because the same writer, the same writer uh, for, of Ex Machina, also wrote the adaptation of it. So, um, oh, cool! Yeah, you yeah. also read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah, right? I'm telling you, I'm getting into this. I'm just getting pulled into the nerd vortex. <laughs> so the episode that we did choose, or I guess that I chose, it's the episode called Tapestry. Um, Tapestry is a season six um, episode, and it's chosen for a couple of reasons. It, it seems to meet our criteria, but it really is about one person, Captain Picard, the captain of the Starship Enterprise. And who it's hard and to take seriously for me because of his performance on extras, which was so... <laughs> I'm writing the screenplay, and um, I find the whole process absolutely exhilarating. What's it about, if you don't want me asking? Well, uh, how best to explain it? You've seen me in X-Men. Yeah. Uh, the character I am, Professor Charles Xavier. Mm. If you remember, he can control things with the power of his mind. He yeah. can make people do things and see things. So I thought, what if you can do that for real? I mean, not in a comic book world, but in the real world. All right. So in my film, I play a man who controls the world with his mind. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, for instance, um, I'm walking along. And um, I see this beautiful girl, and I think I'd like to see her naked, and so all her clothes fall off. All her clothes fall off? Mm, yes, and she's scrabbling around to get them back on again, but even before she can get her knickers on, I've seen everything. You know, I've seen it all. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, you sort of saw it in the, in the reverse order, because that's what makes <laughs> yeah. that scene so funny to me, is that he's been this stoic captain who just barely ever lets you see any of his vulnerabilities or weaknesses. Um, I'll try to give just a little little synopsis of the episode. As you said earlier in the first segment, I do think that this is an episode that's about regret. It hits a lot of themes that I thought you might find interesting. interesting. Um, sort of how we develop as our, our identity, our character develops over time, our regrets over actions, our regrets over inactions, um, how we view our own mistakes, um, and there is one thing that I, that really strikes me that it is about <clears throat> the sort of arrogance that we might develop over our lives. We sometimes 
think that we're being wise um, in reflecting on our lives uh, when we're actually just being arrogant and thinking that that uh, we really know what shaped us, what made us the person we were. A, lo- a lot of it might just be completely due to things that we might not even realize shaped us. Okay, so the story is, it's sort of like a Christmas carol, but for Star Trek. It's the captain of the Enterprise, right. Jean-Luc Picard, with him being rushed into the essentially the emergency room um, because he's dying. He has just received a wound in his chest, and we find out there that he has an artificial heart and that this artificial heart is failing, and the doctor is trying to revive him and fails. So all, all of a sudden we see him sort of in an all-white room walking toward what appears to be a godlike angelic being um and as he walks toward this being we realize it's actually a a character named q now q is this character that is recurring in the series as he's sort of a foil to to the enterprise and i I guess the best description is he's, he's like a trickster god there's very little there is almost zero belief in the supernatural in the star trek universe they're very sort of scientific very opposed to superstition. Scully, uh, but not the, Mulder. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There are all kinds of fantastical beings who might have powers. And this is a particular creature who is from an alien race that is apparently omnipotent and who's always just fucking with Picard. He essentially presents himself as the as God and he says, this is your afterlife. But he says, well, look, you're just going to have to spend eternity with me. You've just died on the medical table. I'm going to give you a chance to go back to your life and if you have any regrets you could change it and, and specifically the the sort of engine is that there was something that led to his needing an artificial heart which was exactly yeah right exactly yeah no that's right what, so he so, sends him back to that particular period to give him an opportunity to avoid having an artificial heart right because the artificial heart was the cause of his death so, so of course uh the it's natural to think, well, why don't I go back to that incident that led me to have an artificial heart to begin with? And that incident was when he was a young cadet in Starfleet, um, essentially military school, when he got in a fight with this alien race, seven-foot-tall guys with Halloween masks on, and he got stabbed through the heart. All of a sudden, we're transported back, and it's old Picard, presumably looking young to everybody else around him, which leads to some creepy scenes where he's like, <laughs> hooks, yeah. hooks up with a 20-year-old. So, it's a little like 21 Jump Street, but <laughs> yeah, the Star Trek right. version of that. Yeah. Right. It, it, you know, it's also like Quantum Leap, right? I don't know if you yeah. ever watched Quantum Leap. No, uh, I mean, I'm not going to. I, I draw right. the line. So, so here's the gist of the episode. He's given the option to change his life, to change these, this specific circumstance. And the circumstance came about like this. One of his best friends in the Academy um, was... Uh, got pissed off at these aliens because they cheated him out of some money when they were gambling. It's not important. A, a Donjot. Donjot, which is one of these made-up Star Trek games. They have a lot of made-up games. And, like a pinball uh, pool I, kind of. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's some sort of like snooker pinball. You know, yeah. I don't know. Oh, um, of course, snooker. Sorry. Originally, they plotted their revenge on these aliens for having cheated his friend out of money. <clears throat> but now we have old Picard's mind in young Picard's circumstances. And he has the wisdom 
of old Picard. He has realized that being so reckless, you know, picking a fight with somebody that you probably can't win, that you, where you probably can't beat them in the fight. Um, over it, a game of Domjot. Over that. a game of Domjot and some, you know, and pride. Really, it's just yeah. pride. It's really, this was another another thing that I thought you'd like. Just, you know, this was just pure revenge um, over over hurt feelings and bruised. bruised Honor. Honor. <laughs> I mean, Honor. he says, like, the, you can't cheat and a Starfleet officer at Domjot. Like, we can't let them think that. Rep your hood. You have to signal that this will not be tolerated, right? Yeah. This is you can't just lay back. But of course, Picard knows what's going to happen, and he's much more measured as an as an older adult, which we know. So he tries really hard to tell his friend, "No, don't like, don't get back at them. Like, don't." And his friend gets very disappointed in him. He says, "You know, I don't even know who you are because, of course, he is now this measured personality." There are two things that he changes. One of them was changing what he did, which was get so he shouldn't have gotten in that fight and got stabbed. The other one was clearly driven by a regret over inaction, and that's to fuck his friend. <laughs> so right. he goes back and changes two things. Yeah. He fucks the girl that was in their little circle of friends. I mean, they make love, I should say. So, And this is maybe my central question to you um, as I was watching this episode. When you think about the regrets that you have in life, if you have any, which you might be too arrogant to have any, is too it narcissistic. regret? <laughs> is it regret over something that you did, or is it regret over something that you failed to do? That's a good question. Do I regret the things that I didn't do when I could have, or do I regret the things that I did do? You know, one of the things that I definitely t have told myself since I was in my 20s is if, if you're on the fence between doing something or not doing it because you're afraid of the consequences, you should always do it. That you're more likely to regret the things that you don't do than that you do do. You know, partly that's because I my temperament isn't to do something either horribly immoral or that I'll definitely die, although I've definitely come close to dying a few times. And actually that's a finding in, in the psychological literature that, um, that in the short term, regrets over what we did are more powerful. But yeah. in the long term, regrets over what we didn't do are more powerful. That, and, that, that, that seems right, yeah. Yeah, and I think part of the reason is that we, we get used, we, we sort of adapt to the consequences of our, of our actions, our, our bad actions, but we'll never have a chance know what would have happened had we actually done something we didn't do. And so it's actually, right. you know, this feeling of incompleteness of what could have been that's really... Um, a world of possibility that was denied to you. <laughs> right. I, I definitely have regrets. You know, often they have to do with <laughs> women. I mean, I think that's one of the things that it plays into, which is the, the, the women that you didn't approach when you could have, and allows him, as you say, in this kind of creepy way, in the same way the Jump Street <laughs> right. movies, I never watched the show, but the Jump Street movies definitely allow you to go back and try to, with what you know now, try to rectify the mistakes that you, I have plenty of those, I guess, but, um, but, you know, in terms of these big character-shaping things, I think I have been of the temperament of you take the risks and you do do these things and I'm probably mostly through luck N nothing has turned out to be a huge disaster for me oh we should say also the final t twist he doesn't 
get into the fight. He has the artificial heart. Then it it comes to the present, and he's just an ordinary lieutenant on the ship. Yeah, exactly. Changing what he went back and changed, his presence is completely fucked up. He is now sort of the middle management equivalent uh, uh, of a Starfleet officer. He's sort of perceived as weak, not particularly noticeable, or he's just not the leader of or captain or powerful figure that he was. I gave you something most mortals never experience. A second chance at life. And now all you can do is complain. I can't live out my days as that person. That man is bereft of passion and imagination. That is not who I am. Au contraire. He's the person you wanted to be. One who was less arrogant and undisciplined in his youth. One who was less like me. The Jean-Luc Picard you wanted to be, the one who did not fight the Nausicaan, had quite a different career from the one you remember. That Picard never had a brush with death, never came face to face with his own mortality, never realized how fragile life is or how important each moment must be. What's interesting is that um, it's hard to know whether or not it turned out to be a huge disaster without a comparison. The life that he then has when he changed that decision is is pretty fucking good life. You know, a lot of people would kill for that life. I mean, he's on the starship enterprise. He's an astrophysicist. He's a Lieutenant. It is only a disaster. So at some point he actually says he would rather die the man he was than live the life that he just saw. And it's like, really? You know, there's plenty of people on his own ship that live that exact life. You it's know. like a big fuck you to people who just have to be like, you know, relegated job, to sort of the middle. Maybe our lives are disastrous in comparison to our the possible lives in which we are, you know. We were, we're like the like, car talk guys in a different life. Yeah. And Howard Stearns, you know. <laughs> or the partially examined life guys, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were the partially the PEL guys. If we had just, you know, here we are struggling to make top ten lists. <laughs> And meanwhile, so, they go back in time and, like, you know, don't screw somebody over. And they come back and they're just like us. They're like, this life sucks. I'd rather be dead than live this <laughs> life. Let's, let's talk about the various interesting elements of this. Yeah. Uh, first thing to mention regarding this whole Star Trek thing and me getting sucked, dragged into it. For the first, like, 25 minutes or 20 minutes of this episode, and, and, <laughs> and, I, and I say this also to other people who are like me, like, the first 20, 25 minutes, my only thought was, well, number one, is this some big fucking joke that Dave's playing on me? Like, what did I do to him? Number two... <laughs> God, TV has gotten so much better since right. the late 80s or early 90s. Like, And there are a lot of ridiculous things. Like, I think the performances, with the exception of maybe the main ones, are pretty bad. Um, yep. The dialogue is... is is cheesy <laughs> the Nausicans, you know in addition to their like ridiculous costumes they they talk like like simpsons aliens you know like maybe i'm human you know, it's a human you play dungeon human <laughs> so fucking ridiculous again like I, i'm gonna say really nice things but just that whole thing of like the way this started was cheating over a game of like pinball pinball pool 
And right. but the beef, I guess the beef between the Starfleet officers <laughs> and the Nausicans is so ridiculous in the way they talk about it. Like, you know, we can't let them think that they can just cheat a Starfleet officer at Yamjot. <laughs> and, and then their planned revenge. It's not like their planned revenge is to go kick their ass. Their planned revenge is to just cheat Back. at cheat back exactly right to rig the table back yeah like that whole thing i was i was you know a lot of eye rolling in the summer's household i by my daughter started watching it and then she just left she's like, i can't watch left. this you know because i've raised her to like good tv you gotta, get, you gotta get her early on enough like i made my daughter watch the whole run of the next generation <laughs> no that's you know, me so that's I... mommy dearest kind of like <laughs> I'll admit that that my, you know my initial excitement at the, that you were willing to watch a Star Trek episode led to just a deep fear and like as as you know I didn't give you an episode until what yesterday at noon at noon or yeah. something like that I didn't I didn't send along my suggestion because I was working really hard to like find I was like but then that twist where you see his life and how it played out and then how Q talks with him about it. Like, the Q was actually really, you know, one of the more interesting elements was how, why he was doing that, which they never know why this happened, whether it was right. all a dream or whether Q was fucking with him, but in a good way. Because he was making right. him feel like embrace his life and his past mistakes rather than, than be ashamed of them and so, just sort of, like, own it. Like, this right. is who I am. This is, you know... Whatever, however bad it looks in isolation, I couldn't be the, the the man I am, the captain I am, the leader I am if I hadn't been that cocky, arrogant, irrational, uh, right. uh, uh, young officer that I that I was at the time, and it, which is uh, which is a really nice thing to do for somebody, and that confuses Picard at the end of the episode. I don't know how this plays out, but if you ever find out, but. He 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 says like I owe him a debt of gratitude. Uh, so that's one element of it that I that I really like. Right, and it uh, I, you know I think as as the character of Hugh develops, you realize that he he actually does have some some warm feelings toward toward Picard, and so but it and is that came definitely... across even in the episode. Like I think yeah. that came across. one of the points that I think I think came across, but there there is the temptation to just at a very surface level say that the message is that you should be more risky and you should be willing to be yes. a hothead in Which your youth. Which is preaching to the choir with me. <laughs> right. But I don't think that that is the actual message. I think the message is more one about um, accepting that your mistakes will shape who you are. Because, again, what I think the, the counterfactual, if Picard was that lieutenant in that sort of middling position... Um, his life would have been shaped by the decisions he made. And um, in either case, you want, what you want is to come to terms with the things that the actions that you've done, the things that you haven't done. And I, I view this as, as Q essentially telling Picard, not, not that you're wrong to wish that you had been more peaceful and less hot-headed, but rather, you're wrong to regret, right? You're just right. wrong to have regrets about your life. Um, whatever it is that you did um, shaped you in a fundamental way and that you're not, you know, at the end, Picard is happier with his life by, by accepting even as a, mis you could even say, I shouldn't have gotten in that fight. But 
you accept that that's shaped who you are. I'm not sure I agree with that. So definitely we both agree that the idea is that you should own and and not be ashamed of the things you did in the past because you wouldn't be the person you were if you hadn't made those mistakes or if you hadn't perf- uh, performed those actions. Where I disagree with you is I think there was a very, and this is why you know I had a lot of sympathy with this episode, uh, that there was also an accompanying anti-risk-averse message with that. So where this really comes out is when he goes to the commander of his ship, where he's now just a lieutenant, who I guess is another character on the show um, right. right now. It's like his second person or something yeah. like second yeah, yeah. in command. And he, he says, I want to be a commander. And they say, nah, no, that's not really you. You're not, you don't really have what it takes. This is very important to me. I believe that I can do more. Hasn't that been the problem all along? Throughout your career... You've had lofty goals, but you've never been willing to do what's necessary to attain them. Would that be your evaluation as well, Commander? I think I have to agree with the Counselor. If you want to get ahead, you have to take chances. Stand out in the crowd. Get noticed. I see. Now, we don't want to lose you. You're a very good officer. Just not one who stands out. I thought, like, that guy should talk to grad students right now in philosophy and psychology, maybe. Um, right. You know, don't commit fraud, but take risks. That's the only way you're going to stand out and get noticed, which you need to. I thought that was inspiring advice for a young person trying to make their name in a, in a profession. Don't be worried about the... the risky consequences of doing this or that take chances and i thought that was a kind of a running message in the show in addition to the accept your life because we never see somebody being really happy being a mediocrity either right right and i agree with you and i think that maybe the way that i would say it is that don't make your decisions out of fear all right and whether if if you are sort of countering your impulses because of fear or your you know your sort of what you what you actually are inclined to do again within within constraints if if what's happening is that fear is preventing you from do the thing doing the things that that you really want to do or that you that are right to do or that would be fun to do or the things that would make you happier if it's fear that's holding you back that fear of consequences that that sort of as as i say like that the fake wisdom that we have as older people that makes us not want to take risks. And I think we struggle with this probably, I don't know if you do, but with my own kid um, having to balance my knowledge of like the risk, what risk entails, like what, I mean, what it might mean if she takes too many risks, like she could really get harmed. I have tried really hard not to let my fear hold her back me too because you know what i think of as the wisdom of an older person is really just cramping the style of a character as it's developing over time because in my childhood was like that and i think it's a big part of what made me having freedom independence and being able to take risks you know and i I wouldn't do it if she if i didn't think she was responsible but it's hard in today's time i think it's a little easier in houston it's virtually impossible in the northeast to you know have these kids that 
live in any approximation of how we used to live growing oh no which is our parents didn't give a shit well see the thing is i was raised the opposite i my father was just driven by fear i mean we used to if my dad was around i could ride my bike in my driveway (laughs) i mean that's how bad it was oh my Um, god really my parents left me alone for two hours when i was five (laughs) paint chips I was bawling when they came back. <laughs> um, yeah, so so my struggle isn't to be more like how I was raised. It's actually to not be. <laughs> like, That's maybe interesting. what it is. Like, I didn't even know yeah. that existed. Never mind in well, among the yeah. Latin American people. I <laughs> in in this back back to this episode. What I think I think that it's not so much that they're mocking someone who isn't a fearless leader but rather they're saying look if your potential could have been to be captain fear has held you back from doing that but it could be that your potential is to be a junior lieutenant astrophysicist and right. that your fear would hold you back from achieving that potential and you'd be you know so it's it's more like let But that message doesn't really come across because I think, you know, certainly the idea is present that you can live a life of fear and then become a data analyst lieutenant (laughs) on the ship. Uh, That's certainly possible is to be the kind of person that doesn't take chances. And that's where you end up. I mean, in this way, it's sort of risky, this show, because most of the viewers will be in jobs like he had on the on the right. ship, you know, and, and he's <laughs> right. and he really trashes it. Like, again, he says he would rather be dead. Now, I know that's right. him, you know, so this is part of it. It's like, well, that's because you are who you are. Some other right. person might really, you know, my, my brother-in-law works in uh, insurance and, like, insurance law, and he loves it. Like, he's so right. happy doing that, whereas for me, if that were me, I would put a bullet in my head before doing that, you know? Right. I thought another interesting element of uh, that we could talk about is it assumes a kind of view, like a substantive view about the self, about identity. And I would say something along the narrative, the narrative line that like every part of your life is like part of your story that builds to leading to to who you are. I mean, this is a, a view in philosophy, the narrative view that is embraced by someone like Daniel Dennett. And there, it's definitely not uncontroversial to have this view because you could also have a view where <laughs> Captain Picard doesn't get into a fight with this guy and that affects his next few days maybe, but it, right. does, but it has absolutely no effect on his life in, in 50 years. Bec- and, and Galen Strawson... Um, somebody that I interviewed in, in my book, he has he defends an episodic view of the self where it's it's more like short story. Your life is like short stories, different short stories, and whatever happens in the first story has no effect on what happens in the fifth story. Right. It's it's really interesting. I was thinking, and in fact, I was just talking to some colleagues about doing some studies on this. There, imagine that you had to tell the story of your life. <clears throat> there are few different ways that you could tell it and um so if someone said hey, you know how did you become who you are tamler so there is the way in which you could you could say um well these are my qualities and these this is what i did and this is what i did next when that happened this is what i did and what i did and you could tell the story that's very much centered around your agency 
um, even though it's your agency, obviously, in your environment and whatever, um, there's another way in which you can tell the story. And, and I'm curious as to when people ask you, for instance, how did you get into philosophy or why do you study what you study? Um, because when I think about that, I think uh, that there is a complete there, there is a, a completely different way that I could tell the story. And it's all about like these weird, quirky accidents that it happened. I happened to, you know, take this class or I happened to be exposed to this particular idea at this particular moment. Um, in in my case of even going to the grad school I went to was my my mom convinced me to check the PhD box for the Yale application rather than the master's box. As she just right. said, like at the last minute, she's like, just, just hold it off. Right. When you can sort of undo those things counterfactually, your life does seem to unravel. I mean, if, if, if one additional person uh, who has accepted ahead of me at Duke in the Duke PhD program had decided to go to Duke rather than wherever else they went. Right my life would i would not be a professional philosopher and and i was deep on the waiting list so it, any number of people could have just decided no i'm going to go to duke that would have been it for me right, um, right so like you know that that so there is an element of that kind of butterfly effect and you could talk about the butterfly effect in terms of your own agency or things that are completely out out of your control yeah right and it's unclear, it's unclear whether there is a right way of telling it. You know, maybe I would have ended up in academics of, of some sort or at a school of some sort being a professor just because of my temperament and my abilities. Um, but where I am now and what I'm doing now seems so easily defeated by, with the possibility of some of these little things just going, going wrong. But what I'm talking about is a little different. So you could imagine not being a psychologist at Cornell and being somebody else but the but I my 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 what I'm talking about is like who you are as a person so mm -hmm. I I still sort of think you know contra Galen Strawson my life is a is a bit of a story in the sense that the things that I did before led to who I am today but you could also in asking people to describe their lives they could tell it as just separate episodes, you know, like the first Star Trek. You know, they're just these different episodes that don't really have any bearing on the next episode. This Star Trek, it sees life as like Breaking Bad. Every show leads to the next show. And, and you know, like every episode in your life starting, you know, I always tell the story that I, when I was nine and my dad took me to Greece and just let me live like a wild animal essentially like I would be camping out like I, th I think that made me that made that but it could be that that was just a you know a nine-year-old having a good time and getting into adventures and stuff like that that has absolutely no bearing on who I am today because it's like a different person you know right. it's no right. different than what you were doing at nine years old you know yeah that, yeah, that has mean, as much effect on me you know it's and it's really hard to know whether whether we can have any accuracy about the, what was actually formative in our lives. We'll never be able to do. You know, we don't have our own cue to tell us what was. It's not, it's unclear even whether Picard thought this was formative or not. You know, he just thought it was a bad mistake. So maybe you know one one of the messages that that I took from this episode is don't don't be arrogant about what you think shaped your life and made you who you are. Because it could be anything from the most trivial accident to the most well-thought-out decision that you made, or even a mistake that you wish you hadn't made. 
um, it does. It's probably of no use to to dwell on how things could have been, um, and that's why I think even though there, are, I agree with you, there are these clear sort of normative like take the risks or whatever. That I think that the gift that he gave that Q gives to Picard is giving him some sort of contentment that he doesn't need to worry about those regrets. So I, I'm curious, do you see your life as uh, like a continuous story, like what you did earlier shaped your character? Is your character continually evolving because of these decisions that you've made and because of, you know, who you were as a child then leads to who you are as a teenager, which then leads to, you know, how do you see that? Or do you just sort of... Yeah. No, it's a good question, and it's one that I think that I'm forced to think about because my when I introspect, I actually think, no, I am me. So I am me sort of independent of this stuff, right? Like sometimes the me that I am pick the right thing to do, and sometimes the me that I am pick the wrong thing to do. And it's hard for me to see those things as causal. It's a little bit easier for me to see, like, early childhood experiences like you know my grandfather sort of always giving me books to read i i i do think of that as playing a causal role and that's what makes me as scared as a father like am i doing the right things to 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 (laughs) expose my daughter to the right things like making her watch all all seven no (laughs) star trek it's Um, gonna need years of like we we also watched the original series which she tends to like more but i remember i'll never forget when she said why is Captain Kirk always flirting with all of the alien women. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a very good question. Because of sexism, sweetie. This is what happens when you allow same-sex marriage. Then it's just like interspecies, you know, <laughs> slippery slope. Uh, I am probably extraordinarily wrong about my own sense of who I am. I, you know, this is probably one of those Parfidian sort of illusions that I have about continuous identity. But I swear to God, when I think about it, I am David, fourth grade David, twelfth grade David. Right. Like, it's just me, and I have a character, and it's always been Which consistent. this episode sort of picks up on. Like, I, 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 like I, when I look back on those years, it's just my me, you know? Yeah. Uh, and everybody else sees a younger, less <laughs> right. drink-ravaged face. But I see just me in these situations, you know? Yeah. yeah. But we might be unrecognizable to our, to our buddies. I take it that, that I should be a bit more humble about... about me not being the causal nexus of my character and and it's not to say that it's that it's self-caused it's just whatever it is like my early environment and my genetics they just made me and that's who i am like my you know my temperament so then so that model would be like the early star treks in that it's not that each episode necessarily connects with each other in the in this continually evolving plot it's more but but the characters are the same so the characters are the same and you can and and uh you know i guess it's the stable character trait kind of view yeah it's interesting because in that sense character development what it means is just showing us multiple scenarios in which that character acts in a particular way and so character development is just demonstrating their character Whereas character yes. development in a something like Breaking Bad is actually seeing how they change in response to their environment as, as, and as how people, it, right? Right, and you look at Walter White at the end. Remember, remember when he's he's just like looking at the guy and he's like, "Say my name," you know? Yeah. And you're like, the Walter White we saw in season one would be incapable of that, just completely yeah. incapable of that. Yeah. If you could go back and do that same thing, 
What would you go back to in your life? As a, at any point in my life? Yeah, so I'm Q right yeah. now. I'm offering yeah. you this chance. Um, he doesn't really give him an opportunity to choose, but what would you choose? You know... Where would you go back it's, to? It's a good question. I think that I would go back to junior high or early high school. Like, I, I actually think that yeah, I, I out of fear avoided a lot of things that later on in life would have would have brought me pleasure and not you know everything from like drugs having the balls to, to you know, drugs <laughs> having the balls to talk to to talk to girls and yeah and, uh, it always kind of gravitates back to that well yeah really what my, my first thought was having the metal like having the 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 bravery to stand up to the assholes who used to pick on me like I think, you know, what would have been the worst that could happen? I would have gotten in a fight, and you know, yeah. maybe I would have gotten in a lot of fights, but, but I wouldn't then have had leave you to. Alone. Yeah, I came out of my cocoon a, a bit, but I wish I had done it earlier because I think that I was capable of it. But I mean, yeah, it's sad, man. Shit is making me depressed. <laughs> well, I feel like the, the other thing, lieutenant. and I always <laughs> think of this with my daughter. It's easy to Monday morning quarterback. Yep. But you don't know the shit that's raging through you both chemically and you know how how could you not go balls out on the audition why were you worried about like what the other kids would think of you and stuff like that yeah. and of course you would say that from distance and from not being but when you're a 11 year old 10 year old girl you know that's 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 hard it's, you know it is no it's it's totally right and you you look and you're like I have this wisdom now, but this is what was one of the things that I started off with was that there is a sort of arrogance in our wisdom that we, yeah. the quote that I, where at the end, Picard says, there, there are many parts of my youth that I'm not proud of. There were loose threads, untidy parts of me that I would like to remove. But when I pulled on one of those threads, it unraveled the tapestry of my life. And I, I, I think it's not to say that any one of those things might unravel your life. It's just that you don't know. You just, we have no notion of what would be one of those things that makes right. us exactly the same or one of those things that was formative. And, and so we should just. Here's why, though, I also think that it, there really is a strong risk averse or anti risk averse is the way it ends, which is really nice. Um, this is another thing I really liked about it. Those stories where you did stupid ass things are the stories that, and, and I feel this all the time with my f friends from college and from high school, those are the stories that we treasure now. Those, right. That stupid, that time we got our ass kicked in a bar, <laughs> that time we got, like, I got arrested in Mexico, that time, you know, like, buying, buying Coke off some, like, undercover <laughs> cop. Like the, oh, my the, God, I did not know that that happened. Those are the stories that we come back to, and those are, like, you know, as we get older and stop doing these things, it's 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 nice to have them in your past um, <laughs> and and reflect on them with the people that were just as stupid and irrational this, as you are. This is um, my con consistent pitch to my dear sort of friend and mentor and postdoc half postdoc advisor Elizabeth Loftus, who studies false memories. I wish that she could use her powers of in, implanting false memories to just give me some of those memories. <laughs> like, <laughs> Consequence-free, I can actually all of a sudden have a memory of all of the fun, reckless things I did. 
uh, when yeah. I was young and, and, you know, never actually have to get an STD or whatever it is that happened to you. <laughs> Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that was that was worth it. It will be probably a while before I do another Star Trek episode. I was going to say. Maybe, I was going to say this is just you know part one of Star Trek. Uh. Ooh, one <laughs> listener suggested like a deal that we make that for uh, three movies for every Star Trek episode. No, like, I, don't I think get that's to, what he suggested. I think that he said, "Is is this what a shitty deal you're getting, David?" One episode, and uh, Tamler gets like three movies. That was <laughs> talk yeah, about motivated, see. motivated reasoning. <laughs> yeah. You read what you wanted to read. Is that really right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Great idea, though." At the end, like you can thank me for it. <laughs> Talking about yeah, the we'll future. Look, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. Um, God, I hope I'm right about this. One of us, <laughs> one of us is really seeing what they want to see. You guys are setting the bar super high for this episode now. Is there going to be a three Tamler movie picks to one Star Trek episode ratio? Best idea yeah. ever. Yes, you are welcome. I'm right. You know, it's, amb- it's sort of ambiguous. Only you know, like if, I, you're, if you're looking through it through the distorted narcissistic lens. Well, you're setting the bar super high, right? So is it really going to be that... I only get one Star Trek episode for every three. Then that means that the that uh, every Star Trek episode has to be Josh. All right, whoever wrote what that, what, Josh Feigenbaum, email us to non-ambiguously clear this up, <laughs> so we know which one of us has a warped view of reality. I'm sure we both have a warped. View. <laughs> yeah. Guy probably meant something. He's just fucking with us. Yeah, he is. Good job, uh, you did it. Uh, you happy? And sorry to everybody about the. The, the, the comedy episode I mean I know. Um, but uh, hopefully this one is a little better uh, and, and join us next time I'm very good Just a very bad wizard.